really with what happened with me being Funkle Sam, it's uh, it really just it's it's like a stream of consciousness. It's almost like I kind of tune out. And that's what I did the first time that we did this. And it wasn't as extreme as what it is now. But what it is now, I mean, it's a little more, cal- it's more calculated. And it's, um, and I come into it knowing that I'm going to, but also I don't know where it's going to take me either, though. This is Commonplace, the show about creative people and the things that inspire them. I'm Nathan Thomas. Today on the show, we have Perry Casto. You know him as Funkle Sam, frontman of the MFB and one of the organizers of Funktafest. Funktafest 6 is set for Saturday, September 17th at the Ritter Park Amphitheater and is an all-day affair that leads late into the night with an after-party at the Loud. In our conversation, we talk about his instantly recognizable stage persona, the similarities between being a teacher and performing, and the origins of Funktafest. But before all that, we start off talking about my apartment, which at one time Perry lived in. Like, it was 2000 2000 to 2000... uh, Actually, it was 99 to 2000. Nope. No, take that back. From 2000 to 2001. It was only a year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, hell, I didn't know there was a window there. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, we didn't even have a lot of furniture and shit. Like, we had, like, one couch. Like, it was a lot more bare than what this place mm-hmm. was. Um, well, this been while you were in college? Then? Well, I was still in college. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was my, like, my super senior year. <laughs> I was, uh, three or four year uh super senior did so. you uh have any bands or musical projects I, at I, that that's time? when i was just kind of just just really starting to get my musical shit together mm-hmm. i was still just beating around and learning a lot yeah uh i didn't start performing live until oh two oh three um and I was, whew, it was, I was really rough. What were the first bands for well, you like? Were uh, they funk projects, or were no, you just trying? No, not at all. Out? Just uh, it was more like southern rock and just classic rock and shit like that. Uh, uh, I always just tried to make sure I surrounded myself with people that were, because I started late. Uh, I get, I got in late to music. I didn't pick up a guitar until I was like eighteen. Didn't really get semi-proficient at it until I was like 20s like 22 23 I didn't really until I could really get through and be like oh I'm all I'm okay now um yeah so uh I was just trying to make sure that people that were around me that were, were better so I could just raise my game quicker and uh, so in all of that when did when did the MFP actually start? MFP then? started in 2012. Okay. Uh, so before that, uh, I guess the, the my very first show I played was like 02 or 03 back in Point Pleasant at the, the Iron Gate. And it was like the upscale restaurant of the area. Uh, I'm from Point Pleasant, so I'd always go kind of go back, and I always had a bunch of buddies and stuff, and... Uh, it was like, I think during, you know, you know, that, that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving kind of time, you know, that everyone's back in town. If you're, were you, where, where are you from originally? Uh, I am from, uh, have you ever been to Kanawha State Forest? Yeah. You know, that very like rural area just right outside of Kanawha State Forest, Loudendale. Okay. That area. Gotcha. So it's like 10, 15 minutes from, um, you know, the, Heart of Charleston, right? Uh, very kind of. I went to G Dub, and I know that's like stereotyped as the rich kid school, but my neighborhood very far from that. Just economically, yeah, more, more rural. Yeah, but that. that that period 
uh, around Thanksgiving where like, oh, everyone's back in town, and if you go to the bar, you're going to run into people you. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. Like that was like my first. Uh, like we had planned and we'd, we, we'd, you know, practiced and rehearsed back in Point Pleasant a bunch of times. Um, we were originally going to call the band. Don't, don't bring Daryl, uh, because my wife's brother, he was really, really tough to be around. And we brought him to one of our rehearsals one time and it was, it was a cluster, but I'm glad we didn't choose that. Cause that was kind of a mean band name. So we, <laughs> we decided that on the, in the Point Pleasant register, uh, on the front cover of the Point Pleasant Register was this this guy grinning, holding up a snapping turtle, uh, and it said, "Local resident catches a forty pound snapper, snapper or snapping turtle." So mm-hmm. we we called ourselves forty pound snapper. So that's very where we, good, Dan. So that's yeah. So so that's where we got that, and that's forty pound snapper was pretty much two thousand and three through two thousand eleven or twelve. You know, as I was kind of fading out with snapper, that's when. MFB came in, mm-hmm. the focus. So Snapper was like classic rock, uh, a lot of covers and stuff. But it was it was a a great formative and uh, just a great experience. I played with some of my best friends, and we played all over the state, and kind of kind of built my chops, and you know, kind of the business aspects of it, just getting out and hitting the pavement and playing out and stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And so what would have you been listening to around that time to kind of inform the change from Snapper to other projects you've done since well, then? I always kind of had a pretty wide palette of things that I've always liked to listen to. Uh, uh, I've always loved Motown. I've always loved, like I, I'm, I was born in 76 and, and, uh, a lot of the things that were formative on me were like stuff that I would listen to in my parents' Lincoln Continental in the backseat, like Earth, Wind, and Fire, like Doobie Brothers, uh, Michael McDonald, like a lot of radio rock, a lot of like, there's a lot of schmaltzy, like soft FM rock that I really love. Yacht rock. Yacht, yacht rock and... But a lot of the funkier kind of things, uh, like Cool and the Gang, and uh, of course, when I got older and started to peruse more into uh, Parliament Funkadelic, of course, uh, of course, you know, '80s child, you know, I'm growing up in the '80s, Prince, Michael Jackson, all that stuff had a huge impact on me. Like, I really didn't have the appreciation for classic rock until I was probably, like, through my 20s and 20s up to my. 30s I really started digging into a lot of the classic rock because I really eschewed a lot of that as a child I was like nah dad I I, I want to listen to Prince I want to listen to Michael Jackson I want to listen to uh Hall and Oates or whatever you know uh and it I liked it a little bit um I mean I love the Beatles the Beatles was Beatles through it all has always been like my number one probably I'd say um which I've always kind of had that as my anchor of what you know like psychedelic rock you know uh i always like the sergeant pepper and revolver and well, white one, album kind of that era has always been my favorite there's bands that was able to do a little bit of everything and they did it all very well man the beatles pretty good people should check them out if they haven't hey, have you heard of them have you ever uh, I, they're pretty. They're not that popular, so you can yeah. get on on the ground level. I mean, I know they get a lot of flack, and they they get, but I think it's all justified, in my opinion. I, the Beatles are. It's like, geez, some of that stuff's kind of untoppable. Like it, you can't. Be- I just, I just, I, I deflect a lot of the criticism, especially like Ringo and stuff. Like I think Ringo's perfect. I, yeah. I really think he's. He's everything that he needed to be for the Beatles. Now, the only thing people should give him shit for is that No More Fan Mail video he did. Yeah. And even that, it's not so much the stopping taking it, but making the video where you say you're going to throw it away. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little excessive. I get it. I mean, when you're like a big personality like that, and yeah. you're being approached 50 times in a day for an autograph piece or something. Off, piece him off. You know, just it's going to go right it. into the bin. So... I mean, I get that, I guess. But it's one of those things where 
you know, I've probably been guilty of Ringo hate in the past, but also at this point it's too overplayed of like a comedic concept. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see where people come from. They say, you know, he's very rudimentary or basic or, but it's kind of like he did everything. Uh, my, my view of viewpoint of drummers is it's a lot of the time is you are just serving the song. Like, really, that's uh, if there's a tattoo that I would probably get, I have no tattoos, but it would be serve the song because that's really all you should be doing in a band. I mean, that's that's it. You are you are um, you're just an extension of everybody else. You're just like a limb. Everyone is like a limb of this same creature. Is the idea of serving this song and doing what you feel you need to do to like bring that energy what is that why your stage presence is so kind of like upbeat jumping around like that sort of I like no i think really with what happened with me being funkel sam it's uh it really just it's it's like a stream of consciousness it's almost like i kind of tune out and that's what I did the first time that we did this. And it wasn't as extreme as what it is now. But what it is now, I mean, it's a little more, cal- it's more calculated. And it's, um, and I come into it knowing that I'm going to, but also I don't know where it's going to take me either, though. Yeah, like, if your gig gets moved inside last minute, <laughs> Uh, because your Ninth Street Live gets right. rained out. You're not expecting that you're going to climb onto the bar at the cellar door? No, I'm expecting to do something. But you're expect, yeah. it's just Maybe where- the other people aren't expecting me to do that. It's just wherever it leads you in the moment. Yeah, it's like, uh, and, and I know some of it is, uh, with, with what I do with being Funkle Sam, is um, indulgent, I guess. But also, it, it is me. It's it is me, but it's it's like it's it's like my it or something. Something weird. It's like I don't really I kind of tune out a little bit. Well, it's almost a kind of zone or a mindset where like people It's like a wrestle it's almost like a wrestling, like a pro wrestling kind of like kayfabe kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of almost in a way where people say, see it and they kind of think almost like, oh, I wish I could unleash energy in that way, but I can't. And well, you're kind of watching it, and it gets done, like, vicariously. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. I, all I know is that I have fun doing it, and I sometimes I go so hard, I get to the point where I almost pass out. And I've puked many, many times on stage. Like, there is probably a 20% chance that I'm going to puke, at an MFB show, and that's a pretty, it's a pretty high percentage. <laughs> but also, I'm a, I'm a stealth puker. Yeah, you when, can hide it. Oh, people, I can. I'm one of the best. Like me and my brother are, but one of the two best stealth pukers of all time. We're silent pukers, mm-hmm. and it's not that we like to puke. It's just kind of like whenever it just I get, happens. what's like an overexertion kind of puke. It's not like, like sometimes when if I had a couple beers and and. Uh, or something, and or if I've puked, it's not because I've, I'm drunk or I'm like sick or anything. It's it's I just have a weak stomach. It's really weird. It's like it's like a genetic thing. Like, did you try other stage personas before you landed on Uncle Sam, or was it just no, straight no, no, to no, that? no? Well, I never had that. I never had the costume until like two years later. Like that person who came out, who, who is now Uncle Sam. That's always been that. I kind of at first kind of called it like, so um, what's the P P ninety X whatever that workout regiment you know what I'm talking about yeah well the I, infomercial thing yeah like the infomercial thing I kind of called myself like um P ninety triple X or something like because my you know Perry's my first name it was kind of like that at first it was, and it was a little bit more raunchy when we first started it kind of like you know early era prince was like really raunchy like i hadn't really like conceptualized it fully 
And so I went really for big shock value early. And so I've been kind of pulling that back a little bit more, uh, you know, as a dad and teacher and whatnot. And it's not that I'm like compromising my artistic ideals or anything. It's just that, um, I don't know. It's just, I'm not as interested in it being as. And students seeing you hit a bell that's tied around your deck. Well, that, that doesn't really bother me that much because all I'm really doing is just fucking shaking my hips. I mean, it's no different than fucking Elvis shaking his hips. It's just that I have a device that's around my waist area. So I don't, I, I always found the fascination with people thinking that the cowbell is, is sexual, but it's, it's, I mean, I get it, but it's really not. I mean, it's just, I mean, I've seen parents like shield their kids' eyes from it, like put their hands over their eyes while I did it. And it's, it's just, it's just, uh, it's nothing different than like what Elvis did really. So what have been some other like performing highlights with the MFB, whether it be like a really cool venue you played or uh, uh, an event or that sort of thing. We've just been lucky to to hang around long enough to to play a variety of different, like anything from like weddings. Some of these weddings have been fun, and you wouldn't think so, but some of them kind of go off, uh, kind of go off kilter and and are a lot of fun. Uh, of course, playing like live on the levee is a lot of fun. We've played those a couple of times. Uh, and so many people come out to those, too. Oh, man. Yeah, that's probably been one of our bigger shows, uh, I think, probably was the Live on the Levee shows. Um, of course, hosting Functifest every year is is awesome. Now you're up to the sixth one? Sixth one. Well, it would be seven if it wasn't for the pandemic, but this is six. Yeah. When um, you started it did you ever think it would get to the point where it's oh six like get that far uh i knew after we the the most important one to do is the very first one and if you can get that first one under your belt it's like anything it's like anything else you get that first one out of the way and then really the sky's the limit so that's the way i've always kind of looked at things like and it was a big like we frankenstein that rig together for that first one we had uh, we had like two months, two or three months to put it together. Um, we ended up with like five sponsors and like like six bands or something. And it it was awesome. Uh, but also it was like, damn, I'm glad that that's over and we, we were able to pull that damn thing off because it was hanging on by a thread. So that just kind of gave you the, you know, the impetus and the momentum to kind of just I'm – I'm a big about momentum – and just what moving. what was the initial seed like of like oh I think we should do this festival so Functifest was really kind of dreamed up between like me Colton Settle and Shane Durham uh, so Colton's of course in the settlement um, Shane Durham's in Beggar's Clan and whenever we would like we would like share a bill together, like settlement MFB beggars clan somewhere along the way. And we probably played five or six, six of them along the way that we would just all three play together. We would bill it as Trifunctiforce. I think it was actually Gordy that coined like Trifunctiforce or something like that. And then from there we just said, well, these shows are doing great. I mean, we could take this thing on the road. Hell, we could go across the country and do this show, all three of us. Of course, it never materialized like that, but we were like, well, what's the next natural progression is, well, let's, put a, let's do a festival or something. So that idea just kind of simmered for a while. Um, and uh, it was when they were still doing the Ritter Live shows. And Joe, Joe Trooper Terrace was curating those shows uh, on those Sundays at, at Ritter Park. But I guess they hadn't had all their programming set for that summer. And uh, Boulevard Avenue, we, we played one of the shows. And I, I guess I got into a conversation with him. Um, I was like, you know, we got this idea of, you know, kind of doing a, 
a funk festival. Um, but you know, you do your shows on these Sundays. How about we change it to a Saturday, and we really like hype this thing up. And he did, all he had to do was get that date okay through the park board, and it was on. And then there it was. We were uh, we were allowed to. You know, create Functifest, the very first one. Uh, and now you're about to do the six. Now we're about ready to do the six. 22 acts, one day. And I've always, so I, I've done festival planning before Functifest. So I did four years of a festival called Sweatstock back in Point Pleasant. And I was kind of the talent buyer for that. Um, well, not really the talent buyer. We did everything pro bono. Uh, everything was free. Uh, the entire festival was free. It was a free festival. We even fed everybody. We had a big hall roast. My uncle built two stages right outside his house in Point Pleasant on top of a hill outside of city, city limits out in the country area of Point Pleasant. And we had some awesome acts in those four years. We had Tyler twice. We had Downtown Tyler King. Childers. Yeah, we had Tyler twice. We had Downtown King. We had Quiet, we had um, Beggar's Clan, we had Settlement when they were early, um, we had Sasha Colette, um, a lot of just local bands from the Point Pleasant kind of area, and it was awesome. I mean, it was killer, um, but it kind of fizzled out after year four, uh, I think, oh, I'm sorry, our last year that we did it was... 2014 was our last year to do it. So, uh, 2015, I didn't do a festival. And then 2016 is when I did, when I started Fest. So we're now in year six. So it's about 10 years I've been festival planning. And what have been some standout, like, acts or just moments through the, uh, the Functifest year so far? Man, we've we've had some really great acts. Of course, I mean, West Virginia, the West Virginia acts, year in and year out, have been fantastic. And always having that venue to be able to showcase, like, like I said, it's all. It, there's been five core members that have always played Funk the Fest every year. It's it's Beggars Clan, The Settlement, MFB, and then uh, Charlie Brown, Superstar. And dinosaur burps have have been a part of every Functifest. So we, it's really just starts from that, and then we just kind of just build everything else around that every year. Um, but um, some fantastic bands uh, after Funk, uh, they were great. They're a Canadian funk band. Uh, they've broken up recently. They were killer though. Um, Tropidelic was a really popular reggae band that people loved. Um, uh, Marvin, who we're having back this year, we had them at the festival a couple years back. You should you should be a fan of Marvin on the on Facebook. They own oh man, that, their their social media presence is great. Um, they're fantastic, but they're uh, gypsy jazz. I mean, they're just mind blowing. I think the year I wrote about it for Marshall student paper, Freak Bass was playing. I yeah, think Freak Bass was, was Freak Bass was year two, and we also had uh, Fletcher's Grove that year as well. So that was, see, that was year two. So from what we started with, like five or six bands to to year two being that, I mean that really set the tone, and that was that was kind of like this well, is where it's going to be. Yeah, it really yeah. kind of shows the growth. Oh man. Yeah, I'm 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 just I'm truly lucky that we've had a lot of buy-in with just everybody, not just like the artists and everybody, but like the businesses are huge. Like I've got like 60 sponsors on Functifest and that's that's a that's a, that's it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of work on my end, but I really try to to do my best to give them the best opportunity for promotion and exposure as I can uh, and provide just a great show, man. It's just really, Functifest is just like, here's one day you got, let's cram it with as much 
entertainment and just fun times and make it approachable, make it very accessible. Um, and then also just make it very community based and make it open to all. I mean, that's, that's it. Like how can you cram one day? So when we first started, like HMAF was kind of the model. Uh, but I like that we've kind of, we kind of got our own thing now. And like, uh, HMAF totally has their own thing too. And I think it's, it's, uh, they're complementary to they one are. another. It's it's not it's not like a it's not a it's never been a competing type of thing with with them. I mean, it, in fact, the first couple years they helped sponsor us. The first couple years, like Ian and them were nice enough to, you know, be sponsors the first couple years, and I'll always uh, I'll always will remember that. Well, it's they're complementary and that like. Yeah, maybe genre and stylistically they're different in terms of like musical tone, uh, but it also kind of shows that hey, in this little like musical artist economy we have around here, that there is room for this just wide breadth of of music. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be able to help deliver that. Um, I don't think Huntington is naturally the most kind of funky kind of town. I think, but it comes together every year and um i really love what they're like right now with what the shows that they had up there like with the uh, um marvin seals and yeah, the they, like the melvin seals and, the, and melvin yeah the melvin seals and, and the jerry garcia band and the the arlo show like i'm glad that i was able to kind of this is what i've been hoping for for years like that space to be utilized i mean like it should because outside of the keith alby i think that is the number two crown jewel of huntington well it's nice to have like okay so the loud caps out at maybe 600, 600 700 yeah. yeah uh keith alby they only book a handful of things a year through the martial arts series right yeah, you have the Paramount over in Ashland, and they're doing cool stuff. Yeah, on they're the they're actually starting to twelve hundred, thirteen hundred seater. Yeah. Uh, but in Huntington itself, we don't have that good mid-size venue. Well, we've got the Foundry. The Foundry's got the starting, foundry to, starting to do some really great things. But as they build up, it'll be nice it will be. to see. But it's also nice to have this outdoor option. Oh yeah. I mean, Riverfront's great. Don't get me wrong. I really love the Huntington Riverfront, but there's something, there's something special about that amphitheater up there. It, and maybe it, maybe it all lies within that one tree that shades the entire amphitheater. That's like my favorite tree in town. I, I tell everybody that all the time. That huge tree, that if you're looking down at the stage, it's on the left. You you know what I'm talking about. Up that, near the bathrooms. Up near the bathrooms, I mean, it cover. It's it's. Um, we're just lucky. We're lucky to have something. And now that they're getting ready to have some renovations and some improvements, it's like, oh yes, we've been waiting. Like for this. Snarky Puppy up there is going to be a real fun show. It's going to be fantastic. I actually caught them earlier this summer. Uh, I'd never seen them before. Uh, I went to uh, a Steely Dan show up in Cincinnati, and they opened up, and it was. They are they are incredible. Uh, How Steely Dan sounding live these days? Great, they were awesome. They're, I mean, I, there's there's a little bit of disappointment because in your mind you think, well, Donald Fagan's not going to allow his band to sound anything but pristine. But you know, he is like sixty five or seventy years old. He's probably like seventy years old now. And I wasn't underwhelmed, but there was a couple songs I was like, eh, it was all right. But they're one of those bands that's really had like a, a moment of reappreciation the past couple of years where just on like Twitter and social media, you see a lot of people getting into them in ways that they weren't before. That's been really interesting to watch. So like when I told you about like sitting in the back, that Lincoln Continental, like Steely Dan was very formative on me sitting back and listening to that in the radio, like Michael McDonald, like, yeah, like that. 
Like, I think my favorite song of all time is What a Fool Believes by Michael McDonald. It really is. People will probably laugh at me for that. But I, I, it is, I don't know why, but it always has resonated with me. It's like, you can't put your finger on what it is. Like, it's kind of funky. It's kind of poppy. It's kind of got some rock overtones. Uh, and that's the thing about music. I just, I, I love not being able, I, I, I think it's fantastic when you can't classify a band. It's like, well, I think they're like this and that. I think things where people's either their their like their style with their tone, I guess, or whatever their kind of defies kind of classification. I always love that about bands. I was talking to Keith Holly recently about how massing's kind of hard to pin down like that. Yeah, they have a they have a pretty wide uh wide mix of influences. Now there's definitely got they got some like power pop kind of they kind of lends to their tone. I love what they do. I think they're fantastic. When they did that album of like requests that the song sale the, the song sale Yeah, that kept them alive through COVID. Man, that was great. And they were pumping out some really great compositions. Like I was real proud of them during that. I thought it was great. Uh, but just going back to the amphitheater up yeah. there at Ritter Park, um, doing it, you know, now the sixth festival, seeing it grow a little more each time. Uh, who is on the lineup this year, and who are you excited to see? We have 17 acts at, at Funk the Fest. Uh, our headliner is Litz, and they're out of PA. And I guess you would call them like electro funk i guess um they're fantastic they've been in this like kind of jammier kind of scene this funkier jammier scene for i don't know i'd say about 10 years now um and they're just masters of just improv you know improv man they're they're great um we have opposite box coming from tennessee from like chattanooga area they're fantastic i just Love those guys. Like, Opposite Box, they have a great state. I mean, not only do they have a, sonically, they have a great, like, rock and kind of funky vibe, but their stage show, like, Ryan Long is, he's, he's a master entertainer, like, uh, really engaging. Like, a lot of times he'll jump into the crowd and he'll be crowd surfing while he's playing his, like, trombone. I mean, he, he's, he's amazing. He's the real deal. Um, and his brother, Dick Long, great name, Richard Long, it's his real name. He's a beast on guitar. And I, I love those guys. Um, of course, like I said, this, our local scene is like, it's, it's, our local scene is badass. Um, the settlement is like hitting great strides right now. Um, Beggar's Clan's hitting some fantastic strides as well. Um, Dang, we just we got the company stores. Um, we've got just all these DJs that are just fantastic through the day. Uh, Lancelot from uh, Charleston. We've got Charlie Black, DJ Charlie Black. We've got Charlie Brown, superstar once again. We've got. Um, it's just when Funktifest is. I, I, I don't know why I do it to myself and why I cram so much in one day because it's it's really hard to appreciate it all once you get it all there because it's just it's just all popping off at once and then it's just like time flying by and you're like well where in the hell did the time go um and then it ends and you and get then it's over and it's like well now I've got a here I am back to square one planning for next year yeah you give yourself a quick breather and then you uh, open up the uh, the next google doc for next year i'm excited to see brad goodall too so brad's i like seeing brad too he always brings a smile to my face when he plays he uh he was another nice straight life that got rained out and moved into the cellar door us as well yeah um now i i I always like uh like he's he's pretty improvisational as well i like i like how he uh he rolls um 
I mean, when he communicates like with Rod or uh, or Craig, it's usually just like a like a head nod or a you know or a or a, a you know you know they 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 he communicates so well like non-verbally with people on stage. I um am not good at any of the instruments I play. I couldn't do that level of like improvisation. Yeah. Uh, so seeing bands that can do it well, I kind of play that game where I'm looking for the cues and like seeing how they tie it all together because it, I, a lot of them are really quick. Like yeah. you, you have to be like really focusing on people. Like some of them are just like, you know, or just a, like a head up or something like that. Um, but I like that. It's like, it's almost kind of like sometimes when you, when, when musicians get locked in, it's almost like you're a part of the same brain and you already know what they're going to do, especially if you've played with somebody a long time, you know, and you can kind of anticipate what they're going to do. So having that familiarity with other friends and musicians is, I think it's really valuable. Just that chemistry. Chemistry is like, band chemistry is, it's really important. Even with that Grateful Dead tribute show they did there uh, not too long ago, like that is a band that was put together and will that only day. exist for that show. That day. And they y- rehearsed that more that afternoon. And yet you see them come together for something like that. Well, that's what happens when you get pros together. You know, people that are just like masters of their craft, you know, like John Ingram and Brad Goodall and all those guys that from Nashville that played. I mean, they're all studs. I mean, it's, uh, you know, once again, they're serving the song. They know exactly what to do. No one's overreaching or going too far. And it's all about the integrity of that moment, you know? So I, I, I appreciate that. How important is that integrity of the moment and that kind of getting on the same wavelength to what the MFB does live? So, you know, we, MFB resides in the pocket. So we got, we live in, we live in that, in the pocket. We just try to get that groove rolling. And once you got that groove established and you got that thing solidified, then anything can happen. So, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll kind of wait until we, I won't get things moving until I feel like the groove's nice and tight, you know, and everyone's kind of locked in. So, um, so there's there's a lot of room for Im- improvisation with the uh, MFB, but also you have to know. It all depends on the show too. It's all it's like, are we playing like a three hour like marathon? Are we playing like a fifty minute set? Because if we're playing like a shorter thing, then we're not going to be improv nearly as we're not going to be jamming nearly as much. We're probably going to be more on point. Uh, but if we got a lot more time to fill, then yeah, we may be stretching things out a little bit, letting people have more solos. Um, me kind of just being a little bit more, you know, uh, kind of doing my thing out in the crowd a little bit more. So it, it depends on the engagement, I guess, too. Have you ever had a show or moment where it's been hard for you to kind of get into that mindset and get to the energy you need to be? Yeah. Or is it something where the music hits and then something inside you just clicks and you're you know, zero to 60 and you I'm, know. I'm usually zero to 60, but there has been times when I don't know, there's either, there's been things on my mind that have weighed me down. Um, but typically I can, I, I can pull it. I can just snap into it, but you know, depending on your emotional status, like I'm, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty even kill when it comes to emotions but sometimes you'll just have a bad day and it's hard to kind of I mean you're still doing it but sometimes it feels like it's a little forced and you're kind of going through the motions that's how I am with stand-up sometimes and like yeah I'm doing the jokes but maybe the energy isn't at the place yeah that's that's it I mean you're still there in body and maybe even to, to most people it still looks like a great show but you you know in your own mind whether you're delivering or not and i and i and i i'm proud to say that i'm a pretty consistent performer that when i'm out there a good 90% of the time i'm feeling pretty good about my effort and now 
the one thing that eludes me is my voice. And, so, and, and here's the thing about anybody's voice. I don't care if you're Luciano Pavarotti. Sometimes you wake up in a day, and it's just you don't have it like you would hope. And that's just how it is. It's a day-by-day thing. And especially I work in a career where I use my voice all day as a teacher. So a lot of times I'm teaching all day. And then after I'm teaching, I got to go and do an MFB show later on in the evening. And that cumulative effect has an effect on my my shows, which I, it sucks. But I can always tell like in the summertime when I'm not teaching, like I feel like my vocals are always better in the summer. Because I'm not teaching all day and throughout the week. And then when I get back into the grind of school and then I have shows, I can definitely, I feel uh, it affects my vocals. Do you think there's a certain level of performance to teaching too where you're kind of on and trying to pass the material off in a way that uh, sticks? Yeah, somebody made this analogy to me anyways, and I, I didn't really think too much about it, but really what I do as it, with the MFB, it's kind of like, it really is like teaching. It really is that just kind of embellished a little bit more because it is. To be a good teacher, you have to be on all the time, and you're performing a lot of the time. Like, you're putting on a face, and uh, you're putting on a show. You know, and you're trying to captivate these these faces that are sitting down. Yeah, so um, there's great power with that, and it's like, you know, Spider Man. With great power comes great responsibility, right? So you got to make sure you harness it in the right way. So, I um, I saw Ian Nolte do stand up uh, before I had him as a professor at Marshall. Right. And, and you were expecting that as the professor. Probably. Well, n- not so much that because like, uh, I know like, Oh, that's the guy outside of class and right. like to, to expect the difference. Um, but in a way, the teaching persona and the tone that he uses to reinforce a point in class isn't that different right. from the voice or the tone that he uses to get a, a setup for a punchline? Right, right. And, no, I've always, and it's fascinating. It is fascinating. I've always thought Ian was a fantastic teacher. Um, he's he his personality just and his comedy just cracks the shit out of me. I love his 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 humor just is is on point and is sharp. Um. And I, I remember when he taught for a little while, he w- he did some he did some long-term sub-jobs at Beverly Hills Middle School and stuff. I remember him being there. And I always, but I always remember it, I, I had the wrong impression of him back then. I always thought, well, I didn't know him very well. But he always seemed really meek to the point to where he was, where people would walk over him, walk on top of him. But he's not like that. He's, he's, he's just, you know, he's introvert. He's more introverted. You know, he's just got a different approach. I'm I'm definitely just a lot more extroverted. Um, and I put myself out there a lot more. But, um, man, Ian, he's a tour de force. Well, one of his uh, friends and frequent collaborators is Michael Valentine, oh, yeah. and you just did a music video together. Yeah. Um, Michael, talk about another tour de force right there. Uh, I love Michael. I love him to death. He... <laughs> He's one of the most brilliant people I know, uh, hands down. Like, uh, he's he's always brimming with, it's like this. He always does this kind of finger. It's like, when I think of Michael, I think of this. Yeah, the almost kind of scheming type. Yeah, like, like. I can see him, like, twiddling his, like, like excellent. Um, but he's just, he's an absolute treat to work with, like, like just even like paying him out for like working on the video, like he he wouldn't even hardly take like Michael take the money, man. I'm giving you money, take it, please. And he was he's he's so humble about everything, and like uh, he he's just he's an absolute treasure to the community. Um, so I, I worked on, so I didn't really know Michael really well until 
I guess we'd played a couple of shows together. Um, and well, he always told me that he was jealous of me, uh, with me and Alex coming up with the, the biscuit, uh, idea with two, uh, with the Boulevard, Boulevard Avenue. Avenue and, uh, which while we were making it, I was, I was so scared to death that somebody else was going to beat us to the punch that someone else was, <laughs> was going yeah. to make an album and before this was we did. the Boulevard Avenue album biscuits as usual, where biscuits. every song was a tutor's menu item. Yeah. Every, every song was a, was a tutor's menu item. So I think my, introduction to you was either uh you or alex brought a copy of this cd to the mul office right and handed it over and uh i was in the back room and not like the main office right so uh someone on staff comes up to me and says do you are you interested in this like someone just brought it in and the Design of the CD was the cover was the top of a cover was the basket. top. Yeah, uh, the CD itself was, was like a sausage, sausage patty. patty, and then the back was the bottom. Was the bottom of the biscuit, which is just very good CD packaging. Oh yeah, and it's like okay, I take out whatever I'm <laughs> listening to at the moment to to put that in. And again, my favorite song on that album is the Big Tater. Big song. Tater. Big Tater. It the lyric is still... I I always remember is Big Tater. Take a bite and put it in the fridge, fridge for, for later. later. Yeah, Big Tater will outlive us all. I think, I, and also like the, just the whole biscuits as usual thing. It, it I've always thought that it's a slow burn type of album. I think that maybe I'm just waiting for it to kind of kind of burn, but uh, uh, I always thought that it would have staying power like somewhere down the road, like people would really get into it. Um, that album came together pretty. It was, it felt effortless. You know, it was a lot of work, but it felt effortless because the concept was so on point. Well, one of the first events I ever organized in Huntington. Yeah. Uh, Boulevard Avenue played. That's it was right. The, one of those MUL cutting edge. Fests. The cutting edge fest. Yeah. It was y'all. That was a fun show. It uh, was a duo show. Deadbeats and Barkers. It yeah. was a duo show. Deadbeats and Barkers, and uh, Bud Carroll was playing his nights and weekends That's project. Right. That's right. And I want to say of the Dell were in that they version might have of been his there band. As well. well, it was Corey and Cody Hatton playing with Bud. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. I think you're right. Now I remember we were we wore the black we wore the black uh, the, the the black cowboy shirts cowboy with shirts. the uh, the fringes on it because we had the red ones that we wore and then this one was kind of like it was kind of like the towards the very end of us like performing all these songs. I think it was towards the very end. And this would have been like April 2015 or somewhere I think somewhere along there. Yeah, it was like towards the end of us kind of putting the lid on it. Also, Alex was really adamant about not oversaturating it. Like, let's, you know, do our run of shows and let's retire it. Which, uh... There's one of the pictures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought we had a pretty good show, if I remember right. It was fun. Yeah. Um... That was when I was real uh, uh, gung-ho college radio, kind of making that my entire identity. Absolutely. I worked at MUL back in the day. I worked in in 2000, 2001. I think it's one of those Huntington Towny rites of passages. Yeah, it was. You either do a semester or two there, or you work at a call center. Yeah, I agree. I've done that, too. (laughs) Uh, No, I... It was kind of like the Wild Wild West because I would bring in a bunch of my own CDs and play them before they, and they, they didn't ever question it. And they, I mean, I don't know if you could do, you could do it then, but I always felt like they had to make sure everything was like clean clean and previewed, but I always tried to, I always knew what was going to be played and made sure that it wasn't like anything too bad. But just going back to talking about michael valentine this latest music video is big booty judy big booty judy tell me a little bit about that so uh i so i wasn't like i said i was i'm sorry i i 
guarantee I have a d- uh, adult ADD. I bounce around so much about things. So, um, so I was invited to be in a in a in a movie with Michael, which is finally going to premiere this October. Um, and it was written by William Bittner, and you were there yeah. for a very part for short. I played a cop. <laughs> you played a cop, yeah, and I was a cop as well. Um, but that was really my inter- my introduction to Michael. And being on a set and everything, and I was like, "Holy, Schneikes!" Like, like he had every like f- every scene kind of framed exactly how he wanted it. it like, the the level of detail and attention that Michael has in directing is is really awesome. It's really, I I love the the headspace that he gets himself into and professionalism. He's just a straight up professional about it and really thoughtful about. Uh, things so after we did that like and like i i was totally not prepared for that like um now i i think i did pretty well after it was all done and said but they did a lot of takes with me and they were really patient so but after that was finished uh i think i just kind of said it to michael kind of in passing like hey i got this idea for a music video you want to help out and this was before the pandemic. This was 2019. Like, and that's when Big Booty Judy came out originally. And uh, I told him the song title. And I, and the idea wasn't really fully f- f- fleshed out at that moment. Um, it took the pandemic for me to kind of actually sit down and stew on it about what that concept for the video would be. So after the, you know, well, not really after the pandemic. We're still in, in it. But... After lockdown. After lockdown, and I was felt safe to be out, and I kind of revisited it with Michael, actually. Um, I think it was the end of this past year or the beginning of 2022 when I asked him, hey, you still interested in maybe wanting to you know, make a video for, for Big Booty Judy? And he was down for it. He was, he was totally all in for it. Um, of course, I'd, in between all that, I'd worked with him with the uh um the shows that they did at the the foundry the a, a few times shows. good time shows so i had worked with him a couple more times in that in those capacities as well um and then the the christmas shows that he w- w- would do so I, I i started to get get to know michael a little bit better through all that um but just the consummate pro like uh like we would work. I don't know how many how many hours we put in the really scheming up this video, but it was a lot. It took a lot of scheming, um, and then a lot of preparation and and getting the word out for for extras and locations and permissions on locations and um, really piecing it all together. And he's he deserves a medal for being patient with me through all this because I can be. Um, I don't know, a little disorganized about stuff, but he's he's really good about kind of keeping that vision of what I had kind of intact through it all. Um, and then some of that stuff, we just kind of, while we were just brainstorming together, some of that stuff just kind of materialized just with our talks and just the finer things that would make the thing, a li- like make the video a little bit more, you know, funny in parts and uh, just absolute pleasure to work with with Michael I and mean, he's uh I want to give him a big hug right now and he's just that kind of guy like he'll do anything for, he'd do anything for you he'd take shirt off his back for you other than putting out that music video what other MFB projects are there in the pipeline so we're working on an album but it's kind of it's been it's been kind of slow moving um we're probably about halfway through this to be titled album I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but we have probably 10 songs that we have that we worked up kind of towards the end of the pandemic. And then we started playing out a lot of these songs within the past year. So they're, they're pretty fleshed out for the most part. It's just, um, I always feel like with the MFB and I love everybody in the MFB, don't get me wrong, but it's like hurting, hurting wet cats sometimes <laughs> and getting everyone together on, on the same page because Every member is so involved in other projects, so it's it's challenging. And everybody also is spread throughout the entire state, 
Um, so I'm here in Huntington. Um, our drummer James is in Charleston. Randy Gilkey's in Oak Hill. Um, Steven, our bass player, is in Winfield area. Uh, and Blake is in the Hurricane area. But we rehearse in Oak Hill. And we also record in Oak, in Oak Hill at Randy Gilkey's. And that's what we've decided to do um, for this album is to do it all at Randy's and then to get it mixed and mastered uh, elsewhere. But um, just things have been popping up here and there, and we just haven't had the momentum to be able to finish it. Um, but some of these songs are really great. And it's got a different vibe than some of the other MFB stuff. And I was really adamant about it having a different vibe and through the pandemic I always so through the pandemic I really got into a big 80s kick and listened and got really focused on a really you know just a slice of the 80s like 85 86 kind of era and the production of a lot of those songs in that 85 86 era the big gated drum kind of reverb kind of era synth heavy um and just a really tight production and so that's kind of the the focus with mfb is kind of having that that really kind that kind of production element that mid-80s kind of feel um like the pointer sisters like phil collins kind of almost uh cameo and prince of course that kind of vibe um I love it. I, I love that big drum sound. Always have. Um, like I said, I've, I'm an 80s child. Like, And that stuff, uh, I don't know. It just kind of kind of rings true to me. Yeah. When you take a song that, you know, you maybe wrote in the lockdown or uh, during the heat of COVID, and then you take that to a full band studio, setting and start to to flush it out does it ever go to a place that surprises you from like when you were writing it you didn't expect to wind up where it does well some some ideas that you that you cook up when you have them in a demo phase when you get it into a full band kind of application sometimes fall flat or sometimes it will become enhanced and it may take on a different shape. And that's just the nature of demos. Like if you're doing demos by yourself or something, or if you uh, have a limited amount of resources in those demos. But we, we actually approach these demos almost like recording an album. Like, um, so they got built up pretty well. So when we came to rehearsal, um, they were already kind of built up, but also I, I always really liked the bands that when you hear them on like a recorded version and then you would see them live, that they were two completely, maybe not completely different experiences, but it's a different experience. And I like that about bands. Like I'm a big Ween fan. Same thing like Prince, you know, like some of their albums kind of feel like lo-fi and just kind of, and then, then the live experience is a whole different thing, which I like that. I really, I like kind of being one thing in a recorded way and then kind of, you can, there's more room to breathe in a, in a live kind of setting and you can do different things and you can take more chances. I like, yeah, I like that. So other than Functifest 6 this September, is there anything else you want to add? Uh, for people to come out to Functifest, it'd be great. Um, you can go to Functifest.com and get your tickets. Um, it's going to be a great day. Who's, Usually, who's on the after party this year? So the after party is stacked. Um, it's real. So in some ways, the after party has a. It's I wouldn't say it's cooler, but it has a different different kind of vibe, and it. It's definitely much more adult, kind of hedonistic, kind of like it's starting to kind of pull apart the seams a little bit. Like Funk the Fest proper is more proper, and it's more like, and and that's the idea. I want it to be like that. Um, but the after party kind of takes on its own life. Uh, we have Dino Burps open it up. 
but it's full band dino burps, like Yeti burps, which, have you ever seen dino, dinosaur burps? Have you seen dinosaur burps? Yeah. Have you seen them in live band? Uh, I saw them, um, there was one HMAF show at Jake's where ah. the sound system or something oh. messed up. Uh, and so their DJ wasn't able to plug in. Oh, no. But Deadbeats were able to play just fine, and so they played that? with the Burbs accompanying. That was awesome. Oh, it fucking ruled. Dude. And it was like the first Deadbeat show in a while, uh, and like they kicked it off with Boys Are Back in Town, that's and awesome. that sounded great. And then hey, just Burbs with them. Here's the thing about Dinosaur Burbs. Fucking Be Rude is a fucking rock star. Like, he is one of the best entertainers. He's a f- fucking jewel. Like, he is... We should protect Be Rude with everything, everything we, have. we have. Like, I love that guy to death. Like, he is one of the best performers. I love that guy. So when it's like Yeti Burps, it's like... Well, they're not Yeti Burps. They're calling themselves Dinosaur Burps with the infidel phonics. But they're the Yeti Burps. Um, but they just wanted to be build is this so i was like all right whatever but it's like the yeti is like so when i lived here at this same apartment like that's when i met ben call and brad kinder and all them and the yeti like they just lived a couple blocks over like i remember the first time i met ben call it was at the old icon which which is the lantern now that was icon back in the day but i remember him coming over here late night and hanging out we're playing guitar and you know, and all that stuff. But, uh, but, uh, yeah. So, and they were always my favorite band. Like the Yeti is such a great West Virginia. Have you ever seen the Yeti back in the day? No. Oh man. They were great. So they did a band called magic Bronson, like in the early two thousands as well, which was a live band around a rapper, uh, doc Caesar. Have you ever heard of doc Caesar? Dio Caesar. So I don't know if he raps anymore, but they were great. So anytime I get a chance to see them play, it's right there. It's my, it's like a birthday in itself, but you combine them with Be Rude and Squeezel, then it's like fireworks. Uh, okay, so that's not just what's what else is at the after party. So the after party is that. Uh, four Chill, which is three chill plus one. Have you ever heard of Four Chill? Oh. All right, so Four, four Chill is... Uh, just four badass Charleston musicians, um, and they 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 just kill. Uh, and then we got Marvin. They're the touring act that's coming in from Chicago, and they're I love Marvin. Like, and they own everybody on the internet. Like, they're the most humorous band on the internet because it, people always come at them with barbs. I don't know why, but they just always own them. Um, but. Not only that, like they are masters. Like it's like Jang. If it's like if you put Gypsy Jazz, like Django Reinhardt, and like with an electric guitar, and it's just it, it's soloing. Like the soloing will just melt your. It's like it. It's like your brain can't process it. It's like you feel like your your brain's having a panic attack almost. It's so. I mean, it's like their mantra is definitely more is more. I mean, they're like fusion melt face, but they're great. Um, and then after that is Birth, which is a great up and coming band from West Virginia. They're like the closest thing you're going to get the Led Zeppelin around here, really. I mean, and they do it. They're young and they're hungry and they're and they can jam and they're great. They're fantastic. And then outside is um, grown ass folks and they he return. And then he just transforms the outside. And him and uh, Clark, Clark will do the visuals up on the wall. And uh, I always love what Jesse, Jesse, he is, he, he and I have a similar kind of, kind of idea about aesthetics and how that really lends a lot to your show. And he is, he, he is really painstaking about making sure all the other intangibles around you are to his liking, and he creates this atmosphere. The projections that like, go up. Like everything. He just, he's very thoughtful about that. There was, seeing grown-ass folks as a part of that announcement made me so happy because there was such a, like, 
period where the grown ass folk sticker and the logo was inescapable. Like you it would really walk was. around the Mary with Children campus or yeah. downtown, and you would see it on like every light post, every yeah. like uh, just electrical box. You know, you can avoid it. And those shows were such like an appointment and an it event really where like you and your friends uh, uh, meet up at one of your apartments, you pregame, uh, and you're already uh, loaded by the time you right. get to the V Club. Like, that's what I'm saying. He, what the thing I like about Jesse, he always it made it feel like one of those like '60s happenings. Like this is a happening. Say a uh, cool like, acid test. Yeah, it's kind of like, and he'd always do it like really late too. It's like he would like the party wouldn't even start until like two or something, you know, or something I like that. Was that a grown ass folks the night I graduated from Marshall? Yeah, like that's how I celebrated. Nice. Yeah, I love Jesse. He's a good guy too. I um was at his house not too long ago. He did a screening of uh that quest love summer of soul documentary showing in his backyard and he just had a handful of people over Oh, on the screen he's got it was nice i barred that screen off of him uh yeah he he uh he's one of those people that digests a lot of media like i've got a few of my buddies like i can't die see i'm the kind of person that will find something and then just stay on it for like two weeks solid and then i'll move on like i bet jesse he just uh, he he's always digesting like new album like vinyl and stuff he's getting and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, to each your own, you know. Um. All right. So September September seventeenth seventeenth doors open at ten ten a ten a.m. Ritter show Park starts Ritter Park Amphitheater the Ritter now. Uh, show starts uh, all the shows start at eleven thirty in the morning, and we'll go on till ten p.m. Uh, the after party will start up uh, at 10 p.m. at the loud and go on till they kick us out. You can get tickets at funktofest.com and you can keep up with the MFB on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Commonplace. If you liked today's episode, I ask that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, share with a friend. These are free ways that help the show in a big way. Commonplace is hosted and produced by me, Nathan Thomas. Our theme song is Rescio by Goodwolf from the album Car in the Woods. Join us again next week for another episode of Commonplace. Commonplace.